Kathy. And I'm Justin. And, and this, this is, is Comicsverse. Welcome back to another episode of the Comics First podcast. We're in the midst of a series on the best comics you haven't read yet. And during this episode, we'll be talking about the cartoon history of the universe by Larry Gonick. This is a book that was suggested by Nolan, who you'll be re-meeting again soon because he is a returner to the podcast, which you would know if you would listen to others, which you can find on our excellent website, which is comicsverse.com. You can also find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash comicsverse, Twitter at comicsverse, Instagram, also at Comicsverse. But if you want to use the hashtag Comicsverse, you'll probably find us. Um, and you can also find us on YouTube where we have a lot of great videos and reviews and stuff. And you should check that out because I hear that there's an exciting revamp coming. So we have so many great people working for this company. It's a joy and a pleasure. And let's introduce some of them. Wait, and Kathy, what if I more. wanted to look at Comicsverse on Tumblr? Well, I don't know what you would do. <laughs> you would go to, what even is Tumblr? You would go to comicsverse.tumblr.com where you can find all kinds of great comic book related content. And you are hearing the helpful input from Jamie and Pete. So, uh, hey, Pete, say hello to the people. Hello, people. I'm Pete. Thanks. Jamie, would you like to say hello to the people? Hello, people. I'm Jamie. And me and Pete are both editors. So there's some little extra fun fact for you. And we have with us today Travis, who's a big man in Comicsverse. I am a big man in Comicsverse. I'm the editor in chief. So big man I, everywhere. I'm in control of Jamie and Peach. <laughs> kind of like and the Galactus of the Comicsverse. <laughs> so we're we're the Silver Surfers. I could deal with that. Yeah, um, that makes yeah, sense. Awesome. Yeah. I'm cool with it. Pretty right? cool. I'll be Lauren, Harold. We also have with us Brian. I'm Brian. I'm a small man at Comicsverse and, and in life. He's working the sound, which is important. I'm Kathy. Maybe you know. I don't. But hello. And also we have. You're maybe the watcher of our wonderful. Oh, that'd be great. Oh, Although That's I've cool. been recently murdered and have my involved. eyeball taken. Oh, but that I don't wow, know about wow. that stuff. <laughs> I like I like Watu. Hi, Nolan. Say hello to the people. Hey, I'm Nolan. I am a. I'm not employed by Comics First, but I just do the podcast anyway. And you have suggested that we read this book, that this is one of the best comics. Yeah, I picked read. out this book. Yeah, I think it's a I think that this book, The Cartoon History of the Universe, is a very unusually successful effort at a global history that stretches all the way back into prehistoric times and that also makes the history of distant and unfamiliar cultures into a very easily accessible topic that you can learn a lot about just by reading it and that's a great introductory nugget and let's dive in a little bit more we've <laughs> talked a bit we've talked a bit and said some really clever and insightful things about the history element of this cartoon history and we want to turn a bit more to the cartooning now and talk about the art style the humor and just the overall look of the book so i think i believe that brian suggested this question and it's a good one to start off with why do we think that Larry Gonick felt like the world needed a cartoon history of the universe. I think there's probably, I had two thoughts about why I think that is. A, I mean, we saw that obviously he's capable of doing more realistic art. We saw some more like, I guess, like portrait-esque art, you could say. for yeah, some Especially of the, on like the creatures. Yeah, ex- yeah I was going to say for the, the like earlier, the dinosaurs, yeah. prehistoric animals. The bones. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And I think, so obviously he has range beyond cartoons, but I mean, he, he was famous for being a cartoonist. It's just, I believe it's like, that's probably the style he was most comfortable in, was probably the the biggest motivator for it. But um, also I think we've been talking a lot about the idea of like accessibility. And I think that's probably also another key element there is that seeing the cartoon history of the world makes the idea of reading the world's history far less intimidating. Because you can expect some humor and hopefully a less dense approach. I you can also expect- think like, Oh, sorry, no. You can expect a constant refrain of puns as far as humor goes. Amazing, pun after amazing pun. Amazing dad puns. All kinds of dad puns. I also think, like, picking up on what Pete said, that there's also, I think part of it, it, it almost demythologizes history. It's it a good does, way to yeah. put it, I think, yeah. Like, I think, like, you know, a lot of people, you look at a history book, it is this humongous book of humongous text with these names that you've heard of and seen movies about, and they're these mythic figures. They're, they're like real myths, as much of an oxymoron as that is. Yeah. So, in, in a way, presenting them as, like, comical cartoons, just like any other Sunday morning comic strip, it kind of brings them down to a human level. Like, you know, we spoke about Solomon earlier. Like, here is Solomon presented as 
the same way that you would have a, a riffing cartoon on a political leader now. Yeah, Here's totally. Here's a riffing cartoon on Sotwell. Yes, that's, that's quite a good point that it's drawing on the tradition of the political cartoon in the newspaper and it's treating every leader like it's their their own, like there are cartoonists at that time making fun of that leader. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, complete with the art style as well. <laughs> I, I would have yeah. to say it, there's definitely like a sort of a, like a Sunday newspaper sort of feel to it. And I think a lot of that, like you said, has to do with accessibility. Like reading through this with the exception of the uh, humor, like it, it's more or less like a, a textbook itself as much as it is a cartoon history. You're getting a lot of factual information. I mean, oh, yeah. As far as comic books go, I probably learned more from this comic book than any other individual comic book because just yeah. every single page is just fact after fact. So I think accessibility is a lot to do with it because, you know, there's only a small group of people who are going to be very interested in reading a complete history of the entire world or universe in this case. That's not well, I mean, yeah, the world and the we all know beginnings you of the universe. Yeah. But, you know, there's, there's a, a much larger audience for like kids who are going to see a comic book that has the entire history of the world rather than picking up their textbook from school. Like I, if I was a kid taking history classes, I would so much rather have learned through a medium like this than through the textbooks that I had. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that was like the first thought I had when I was reading and I was like this, I, again, I think a textbook is a really good example as I was reading it and thinking this does is absolutely informational. It definitely leans more on the info side of infotainment. And it, it does have that very, like, I would say, like, partly kind of like a, a scholarly tone at times when it's focusing more on parsing information instead of poking fun at it. But, yeah, I think that's really, really salient point. It, it actually is better than several textbooks. I mean, there's the example of the fact that it, it deals with the divisions within Muslim society during the Crusades, which many Western textbooks do not do. They just homogenize all of the opponents of the Crusaders into a single group. And another really good example is um in uh I when I was in high school in public schools in Florida we had a textbook that dealt so vaguely with the opium war in the early 19th century that it wasn't clear from the textbook whether England started the war or whether China started the war and one of my classmates asked uh, the teacher which one was it and he just guessed he just didn't know and he just guessed that it must have been China that started the war because it I'm was white. it was it was trying to sell bias it must have been wind. it must have been trying to sell all that opium to England and those English weren't putting up with it so it must have been they must no, have we don't want your dirty drugs yeah and so he just taught us the opposite of what really happened you know and like that's a danger that the cartoon history of the universe avoids it teaches you very clearly that well, the British were fucking shit up at that it, time it teaches very clearly but there's also a lot of fun that it has too like there's and I think that's another big bonus of having the uh, medium of comic art as like the the way he presents his information you know you can have dinosaurs with like the solar fins that are getting blown away by the wind you can have like the first sheep who were ever taken care of by humans falling in love with their humans like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there's <laughs> like a lot, a lot jokes, of yeah. uh, just extra little fun stuff in there that can be thrown in and obviously in, in a textbook presenting the same sort of uh, facts you can't have that kind of fun it's got to yep. be like this is what happened we know this because of fossil evidence. Yeah, and there's another drawback to that kind of dry academic tone, which is that you don't talk about certain things, like sexual things, for instance, right. which this does deal with in a kind of a pretty tame way. It's not going to like confront yeah, it's younger very, like, audiences wink, wink, nudge, nudge. with any kind of really disturbing stuff. Well, it's, it's a little disturbing, but it generally it does take you into that territory that academics really avoid of like people's personal lives, their kind of like petty reasons for things. And sort of adding on to the points that you've raised, particularly cartoons, in addition to comic art, allow for really condensing things to the iconic level. So like Travis's examples about evolution being represented in a really clear way, even if it's not accurate, like you can carry that image with you. And uh, the same way that we talked about before, that the author is really not super respectful <laughs> to, to put it lightly i can't think of the best word of rulers no, he's totally he's yeah. totally intent on taking them down taking them he's down. A, it's a major goal of the work and so their failings are really clear like when they are really petty or when they're hoarding golds it's it's much more memorable to see you know a tribal ruler or king with a pile of gold next to him than yeah. to yeah, say totally. like 
this person was gathering all the wealth of the kingdom. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's much easier to imagine like what was happening when you get that sort of caricature mm. rather than just mm. like a sentence of like vague description about what was happening with no real context as to why. Yeah, mm. yeah, a sentence that you can just glaze over and not even think about right. it. Yeah. Right, and I, th- I think picking up on that, it's also a way to kind of take what is such a humongous undertaking and kind of streamline a little bit. I mean, like, if you think about it, you know, we're talking about volumes one through seven right now, but the, mm-hmm. in- the entire collection goes from literally the Big Bang all the way up through 2001, correct? Yeah, yeah, it does. And that is absurd. If you, re- like, if you really stop and think about it, like, most history books usually don't focus on necessarily that entire swath of existence no history books do that you can't you must be a specialist as a historian and when you step outside your specialty then you open yourself up to criticism from others and so it's just considered to be stepping on someone else's toes if you try to do that so that's why you don't have you you only have very rare examples of great introductions to uh global history What's kind of cool, too, is uh, he touches on it throughout, you know, various points throughout the volumes about, like, the development of, like, art and the development of storytelling, you know, the way the cave paintings are put up and, you know, ultimately we get to, like, Gutenberg and the printing press. So, especially, you know, once we're getting into the human side of things, we're using a, a comic medium that's telling the story of humanity that is also simultaneously telling the history of itself. It, like, this is sort of a history of the comic oh, yeah. medium oh, yeah. as much as it is a history of humanity and how we got to where we are. And you know, also it's a good, it's a history of kind of like his generation's attitudes about things. Because like, for instance, when they talk about cave paintings, he makes a joke about like drugs, you know, and this is a very kind of like 60s US, 70s US thing to do that people born a little bit later might not even think of the question of whether like hallucinogenic drugs might have inspired cave paintings. But he does because he's from that generation and when it gets all the way up to his own generation you can also see his sort of bias or his attitude as a member of that generation coming into play so we've done some discussing of the history element of this book and we want to turn a bit more to the cartooning of the cartoon history of the universe and brian actually brought up a good question before that i think is is good to kick off the segment with why do we think larry gonick felt there was a need for a cartoon history of the universe. I think there's probably two parts of that question. I think um, because we see that he's capable of doing more realistic art. Uh, We see a couple different contrasts where there's maybe one or two really realistic images, particularly in some of the earlier stuff. A lot of the um, prehistoric animals are a lot more real to life and the cartooning is kind of safe for the human characters. But I mean, he is a cartoonist, right? That's his style. That's what he's most comfortable in. So I'm sure that's a big part of it. But I think like we're talking about accessibility here and I'm sure that's also part of it. It lends to the humor. It gives it a more light tone. It makes it less intimidating, even though the subject matter is, can be, um, like you had, you said esoteric, I think is a good, good word for it sometimes. So that if you're not in history, it can definitely seem intimidating. You know, there's a lot, there's a lot of information to parse through and a lot of perspectives. Even if you are in history, it's intimidating because if you study the Middle East, there's stuff on China in here. If you study Mesoamerican civilizations, there's stuff on Russia in here. You know, it's it's global history. But it does, of course, pay lip service to Africa as all history does. It should have a lot more African history in it. I also just think, like uh, like Kathy said, I brought up the question. I haven't read nearly as much of it as you guys did for the podcast, but... I, I also wonder, and, you know, I've never read an interview with him or whatever to know if there, there's any basis to this. I also wonder if, you know, you brought up the intimidation factor. Just the idea that maybe, you know, usually history is in large, hardbound textbooks and it can feel larger than life and it can feel a little bit scary, I think, to people who don't have a love for it and don't have an interest in researching it. And looking at something like this, it kind of, I don't want to say brings it down in a negative sense, but, you know, it's like, here, here's history. You could read it as easily as you read a Sunday comic strip. Yeah. It's nothing to be scared of. And these people and it's not don't buy into like myths and legends and larger than life persona here. It's the same as reading like Beetle Bailey. And it's brisk. You know, like, you, like I think, yeah, yeah absolutely. It's, it's a way, you said it's not a giant leather-bound book. I mean, these are large by comic standards, but even so, you know, it's certainly a lot easier than reading the primary sources. Yeah, just imagine just imagine how much Wikipedia you'd have to read to get all this, and then take that and convert it from the ratio of, like, Wikipedia space to books, 
you know, like, yeah, yeah, just, it's kind of an interesting contrast. Cause like I hadn't read any of this before, but I had heard about it. Like it's famous in the study of cartooning for its ambition. And yeah. it's sort of weird to think of a project that like, this is like a, a once in a generation artistic endeavor, like that yeah. this could be held up against like the, the, decline of the roman empire or whatever or like um the book declined the fall of the roman empire i think that uh, that book took that guy like decades like longer longer than 18 years to write (laughs) the collection yeah yeah or the the ceiling of the Sistine chapel or something like that and it's also kind of like discredited now (laughs) but i mean that's how history is yeah that'll happen but yeah people are in awe of this work and the way that we think about comics for learning, just thinking of like classics illustrated, like, oh, this is an easy way to read the Shakespearean plays. You don't actually have to read it. But this is it's an easy way to read the history, but it's also so ambitious. It's such a disciplined and impressive work. Well, it's it's incredibly informative. too. Yeah. You know, like, oh, like, yeah. It really is like it teaches you, you so much. Yeah. And it, I think like you made the point if you do have like an understanding of some of the history that it's absolutely like it's supplementary to those things. But I think there was tons of things that I, you know, like bits that I guess I had missed, you know, from what I had learned in school or through my own reading. Say so it's actually more accurate than some textbooks. There's some textbooks that I've been assigned that are just flat out wrong about some things that it gets right. So like you, you might not be just things you missed. You know, there's some things that U.S. public schools skip over almost on purpose. Some things they like oversimplify. For instance, I, I, um, I once uh, was assigned a textbook by two Harvard professors. They oversaw the creation of the textbook. And it referred to all of the opponents of the Catholics in the Crusades as, quote, Seljuk Turks, which is just like totally wrong. And this, and this book gets it so much more right than that textbook by two Harvard professors got it. I also think just one thing, I mean... I- this is a little bit of a diverge of what we were talking about, but I, I just think that for a second to step back and like uh, Pete used the word ambitious, like it's absurdly ambitious to think that these volumes go from literally the Big Bang to 2000. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I believe to, to 2001 to 2001. Like most history books. All. Don't cover that. All. All. There you go. No one All would, because if you were to do that. something like this, your reputation would be in jeopardy if you're a professional. He does a really good job, too, of being, like, very balanced in, like, what he's saying. Like, he, he presents the facts. There's a lot of times where he'll point out, like, now there this goes against a lot of what religion might teach you, and some people believe this, that, the other thing. So he does a really good job of just uh, reporting that instead of, like, letting there be any kind of bias. He's, like... Just laying it all out there, and I thought that that was really well done. And well, we should. Quick, uh, that's yeah. that's Travis, who's just that's, joined that's us. Travis. Hi. A bit of a late arrival. Um, Travis, do you want to introduce yourself to the people? Hi, I'm Travis. Okay, and to to pick up on what you're saying, he he introduces the audience not only to the content of the history that he's covering, but also to some of the conventions of history from the footnote to uh, this this thing he does, where like sometimes he'll just say like, look, we just can't know this. You know, we just, there's just no knowing this and that, and and anybody's guess is as good as anybody else's guess. He'll he'll say that sometimes, like you're, like you're saying. I appreciate that about him because he doesn't have that responsibility to give an answer, right? Or like to, he can just be like, well, you know, we don't really know. And he can, you know, be, he can be totally candid because he's not a historian. He's a cartoonist. Yeah. 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 And he even does that with things like, uh, like the abominable snowman. Like there's a footnote (laughs) at one point where he's like, and some people think this, there's not really any evidence. He takes a jab at like, um, ancient astronaut theorists. Ancient astronauts. Yes, he definitely does. Yeah. And that, that also positions him again as like a left wing historian, not to say that right wing historians believe in aliens, but the, but like the, the main opposition to the whole ancient astronauts thing is that it's racist, you know? And that's, Mm -hmm. and he doesn't go so far as to say that, but he does make some jokes at their expense. So... And to take it back to the art, I think one of the things Pete maybe just said that he doesn't have the same kind of limits that a historian might because this is primarily a work of cartooning and it's extraordinarily successful as a cartoon work as well. I think he he renders things really clearly and precisely what you have to do in cartooning because it isn't a photographic representation so the tomb of Nefertiti has to look like the pictures that we've seen without actually being a photographic rendering and you have a bunch of characters interacting with each other who are sort of similar looking because he has a really clear Mm -hmm. Saturday insert kind of Sunday I got days confused Sunday cartoon newspapers anymore anyway (laughs) yeah 
but the characters that are interacting with each other you have to be able to tell them apart and it has to be fun to look at and he does all of those things absolutely mm-hmm. yeah. yeah again I think really my only complaint with the art was um, some comments I made earlier about the very beginning where there yeah. aren't such things that are, are things that are clearly defined that I think with the black and white approach were definitely like hard to follow some of them definitely came off as used the term muddy yeah um, and I, I would agree with yeah. that yeah but yeah, once we get to the human characters, I, it's, it's a really charming style, you know? Sure. And I think my one complaint, even at that point, though, is even some of the, in the footnotes, you know, I, I read a digital version of it on a large monitor, and even I thought a lot of the, the images there were so small, mm. and sometimes the text felt a little cramped in the footnotes, or you would get these images that were so... Yeah, yeah, no, just cramped is really the word for it, where it's just like they were hard to, to really get a full full look at what he was trying to show us. Yeah. Nolan's going to tell us a bit more about this project, because it's pretty impressive. It is impressive, you know, to the idea of writing a world history is is almost unachievable for anybody, you know, and um, in in the cartoon history of the universe, he basically, he, he writes one, it's a passable world history, it's pretty good as far as they go compared to plenty of academic ones, and it's also like very accessible, very easy to read, and very, it can, in the same way that some other really kind of like um, uh, subversive histories do, it can really... It packs a lot of punches, you know, in the same way that uh, People's History of the United States does, in the same way that Lies My Teacher Told Me does. It just kind of, it shows you a lot of things aren't the way you thought they were. For instance, one part near the beginning that we all read is uh, the story of Solomon. And in, you know, it discusses the legend that Solomon decided a debate between two women, one of whom was pretending to be the mother of a child and one of whom was the real mother of the child, by saying that he would cut the child in half. And he was so wise that he recognized that the mother who was willing to give up the child was the real mother. And it and it just straight up says, like, no, that's just, that's all. This was actually like a threat leveled at his own people, basically. It was not, it was all an allegory. We just don't get it. You know? yeah, it was so, uh, an allegory for the breaking up of Israel, correct? Yeah, and he himself is the one who is willing to kill the child. Is the right, thing, right. you know, like so, like the it, it's basically a threat. It's or it, and it and it um so it's just one of those things. Basically, any authority figure. There's no pope in the whole series. It covers plenty of popes. There's no pope who's who has like a good light. You know, there's no every authority figure goes down in cartoon history of the universe. So I, some of the other things that you touched on when we were regrettably not recording is that the, the author is Larry Gonick and mm-hmm. the whole volume is it's like 20 actual books. Uh, I think or, it's either 18 or 20 volumes. Yeah. I'm trying to remember. The last two go from the uh, European American contacts to 9-11 and the uh, previous 16 or 18 go from the Big Bang up to European American contacts. And- uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but the book was originally released as like single issue comic books before it was uh, volumized, or that I don't know. I know he I started it decades case. ago. He started in 1990. I know that much. And oh, that, that's later than I thought. And and I believe that uh, Miss Jackie Onassis had a particular interest in the book and helped to get published in 1990. When you said that, I thought yeah, that I, must have happened like in 1970 I believe, or something. I believe I read that. <laughs> I, I yeah okay yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a... I was taking some notes on the book, I'm pretty sure. That's cool, you know. Yeah, Wikipedia has a little information on it, but it's not exactly easy because it started in a kind of like a pre-internet era, you know, so... Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it it's, lasted for so long. You know, yeah, it was like 20, 22 years. Year some, a little over 20, I think, because the the, the most recent volume right? came out in 2008. I believe okay. so. Okay, I think okay. the modern history of the world was... Two, yeah, 2008. Yeah. yeah, okay. So, yeah, that's 28 years. That's an incredibly long time to work or 18, on a project. Yeah, 18 years. Or, yeah, excuse me. Yeah, it is. It totally nah. is. Yeah, that's why I talk about comic books on the internet. <laughs> and so another thing that you brought up, and then I think everyone responds to really immediately, is the fun attitude that he takes with history. Sure. Well, I mean, there's jokes all over the yeah. place. Certainly there's jokes. But again, it's kind of dark, you yeah. know? If it says that the legend of Solomon is really this kind of authoritarian ruler's decree, then that's a lot darker than that he was this really wise dude who had the best interests of everyone in mind. But yeah, there's lots of jokes. This is do- some dark humor for sure. Lots a lot of, of dad jokes too, yeah. A lot of dad jokes, a lot of puns. <laughs> yeah, he's a dad. He's for sure a Jewish dad. 
you know the um the footnote thing made me chuckle definitely the first time i saw it Uh, yeah yeah um anyone who hasn't seen the book a footnote of course is a fixture in the study of history but in the cartoon history of the universe they're asterisks like you would expect but he actually draws a little foot too ha ha dad um (laughs) well he's just trying to squeeze as much like lightheartedness in as he can amidst all the death and destruction you know yeah and and the footnotes are great too because a lot of them are like when you think about like the white man's history or howard zinn's people people's history it's like a lot of the asterisks are like people who weren't talked about in normal history so it'll be like the women's story in contrast to that period or be like men thought that they were really great at this but like women were the ones who like created tools remember when women were the ones who were pulling together shit so like i thought that was comical in its own sense it was like, like yeah like people say this is the real history but there's a lot more history well, actually, it's kind of a it's a joke that historians will say that, like, the real information is down in the footnotes, you know, like what what when when an author writes a footnote and they add a couple sentences saying like this or that about it, that's often like at least as crucial as the text on the page, you know, and in, that's certainly true in people's history of the United States, especially there's a long good footnotes in there. I think irreverent was the word you used before, and that really is a good description of the tone of the book. It's because it is certainly dark humor. Uh, a lot of the stories about kings and rulers changing, and this is early human history mostly. Is mean well, that's where we that's what we read, but we it goes read. all the way up to nine eleven. You know, yeah. yeah, yeah, and it has you know the beginning of the first volume is tons of you know non-human stories. Yeah, they actually humanity is introduced at the end of the first volume. Yes, yeah. Volumes 1 to 7 is a good one to start with, I think, because there were a lot of stories in here that I remember from European history and high school and world history and The high Greek school. stuff, yeah, for so, sure. Yeah. Well, and like, a, like um, Sumer and Babylon and, and like, you know. Yeah, but you get so much detail on that that yeah, you would absolutely. normally get, you know, like, yeah, totally. And again, Gilgamesh, right? Mm-hmm. When he covers mm-hmm. Gilgamesh, he just portrays Gilgamesh as this, like, brute you know, just like a tyrant in the negative sense of the term, not like an ancient Greek tyrant. And so he's really, he's like taken down the hallowed figures wherever yeah. he can. There's a story about a line of pharaohs with big noses or something like that. They, they have, because the, the inbreeding sort of like uh, keeps them having the same features. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just like the British royal family had, um, uh, what's that disease where you, when you bleed, it doesn't stop. Your blood doesn't coagulate. Oh, 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 God. Celiac disease? No. no. No, no, that's that's a stomach thing. What am I saying? No. <laughs> Jesus. Also not Pete is also not a doctor. No, yeah. I'm I'm making <laughs> But you know what I'm talking about, that here. kind of thing. Yeah. But it's um it's kind of a, a funny detail that maybe a historian would mention, but it's like front and center in the cartoon history of the universe that these bears had silly news. Well, we can't be sure about that, you know. <laughs> he's he's there's plenty of things that he that that actually there are things in there that like you can't tell, but he is taking a side in a debate between two sides or more, you know. Anything political is gonna be like that. Uh there's always gonna be a lot of debate. Did we get up to Alexander? We didn't, but that's a huge debate. How he died why he died and uh gonic definitely kind of like takes a certain side in it would you i don't know if this is something that you've thought about but does his interpretation of history fit with like a a broader kind of categorization of historian it does it totally does Mm -hmm. i mean um People kind of consider history to be a very like stuffy discipline, a very conservative discipline, but it's not. Uh, a generally Marxian theoretical frame prevails totally, like a left-wing interpretation of history in which, you know, religion is kind of the opiate of the masses. I mean, I don't want to put it that way. Gonick honestly casts religious leaders in a worse light than most historians. But of course, historians discuss all the sort of cynical things that religious organizations have done. And aristocrats, of course, just like, if you'll notice, whenever there's a sort of situation in which a philosopher leader or an aristocrat or a religious leader in the comic is like, you know, the church needs more grain or whatever. There'll be like some picture of a guy with like a pile of gold next to him. And he's like, yeah, we need that grain. You know, so it's just, it's always, I mean, this is patent Marxism, really. It's portraying material gain as the primary reason behind everything that is portrayed as idealistic or cultural. So he, yeah, so he, th- that is pretty normal in history. It has been for about a hundred years. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting that he fits into that category. It's just because we were reading the early history and because it seemed like the actual words that he's using are sort of, they seem sort of apolitical. They're sort of straight down the middle. No way. No, you don't think so? I, I see definitely his interpretation and the artistic rendering, like the, the fact, like you're saying, the 
royalty always has more than they need and the regular people <laughs> always are in dirt and dying and the vultures end up getting the and, best end of the deal there. and in gender like men are always these yeah. like cads you know and all this stuff basically yeah i guess i was more thinking like I, and I don't I don't actually know very much about the study of history, but I was thinking in terms of like when I now think of a progressive history, it's usually in terms of someone telling a story that you're not so familiar with. So like what what hasn't, you know, not the Trojan War, but whatever was going on in the backgrounds. And so with this, we get like the Polynesian War as a through line or whatever. Well, this I mean, is an introduction. Yeah, true. Uh, sorry, what were you going to yeah, say, Jamie? Oh, I was just going to say, in relation to that, he kind of mentions like a literal example of that with like the battle of like the 300 men. And he goes, well, there were 900 men behind those men that yeah. also died. They were and just he- armor carriers, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's like a very, it, it makes, it feels like people's history or something like that where you're like, oh, like this is the normal history supplemented with like the quote unquote real history. So I feel like it's like a more true perspective. But I definitely think that there is like that bias. But I think that you can see it sometimes it's like, oh, but he's just like supplementing the normal history I received with extra history. But the thing is in that, that example is a good example of one that's not biased. There were 900 other guys. They did die. You know, it's as simple as that. So and most of it is like that. There's some things that I could dispute in it. But but most of it is pretty straightforward, something that's known to historians of all different kinds. I mean, he must have had to, like, contact so many different people. But um, all the books that he read for each issue are like or like the bibliography is, is in the back, even impressive in general. Yeah. But well, yeah, that's just a good example. There are cases where I would say it's biased, though. The early humans is a good example, you know, because like where it starts, it goes from a time that we have no information on at all to very well documented 20th century history. So it makes a lot of guesses early on that we've all, that historians and archaeologists have debated a lot. For instance, this question of whether uh, hunter-gatherers spent a lot of their time working or not and whether agriculture meant that people actually had to work much harder than they had before is a very political question. This has to do with the Cold War, with the question of whether, like, we humanity has naturally progressed toward ever more developed economic systems and capitalism is such a, is the other like most developed system or whether in ancient times there were potentially better systems you know such as this one in which people hardly had to work so it's such a political claim i think another thing uh that i liked about it was that it seems kind of it's kind of joyful like he likes the work that he's doing i mean he must because he did it for years and years and years but uh, a lot of I think probably a, a broader impression of more progressive histories is that they're sort of depressing, actually. That, like, sure. Uncovering yeah. things that make people unhappy and yeah. things like that. I think uh, he still does that, but there's also some real excitement in finding weird facts that he can share with people and just the, the work, probably. Well, I mean, it's exciting to know about tragedies as well as victories, <laughs> so, right? Yeah. You know, they're both exciting. They're both real things that matter. Ooh, any any other initial impressions? Maybe we'll get those out and then talk about the art for a while. Sure. Um, in terms of story presentation, I mean, I think I think we hit a lot of the salient points. I mean, we don't really, I guess, need to talk about like the plot per se because it it you know, it's history. Um, but in terms of the humor, I thought that. Some of it was a little mixed. I definitely found at times that I thought the pacing was mixed. There was moments where it definitely felt a little denser than others, particularly um, in the earlier parts of the book when we were talking about like the formation of the universe. And especially, this is actually probably a good transition to talk about the art. I thought that um, the cartoon style was really great when we had characters to show when there were human beings or you know dinosaurs whatever but when we were trying to give them more abstract concepts like space and and atoms and things like that it was oftentimes really hard to follow some of the art because there wasn't color and some of the shapes were you know mushy yeah yeah mushy is a really good oh, way to put it it's a bunch of like amoebas and yeah. you know, cells and yeah and his like little kind of like trying to make monsters out of them and, and drawing a lot of like early protozoic kind of creatures and things yeah. like that there was a lot of things that just felt I don't know, just a little jarring. It really was just, it wasn't, it it didn't, it took me a little while to get one over by the book, honestly, until we were introduced to, I think, like, probably like about the part where we started getting to like the trilobites and some of the more familiar like elements of archaeology. Well, that's still in volume one. That's like 20, 30 pages sure. in. Or, but yeah, I mean, yeah. like I, I'm talking about even like the very beginning. Like I remember that was really hard to get through and some of the, 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 
when we get into the history, I remember near the, um, you're talking about Solomon as well. There was parts where there was just a lot of text on the page and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but there was just some parts that were, that felt very thick. There was a lot of information that he was trying to get through referencing a lot of the names very quickly. And well, it's that, that old Testament stuff is huge, you know, and I hardly know the old Testament. So like when it gets into something I kind of know, I can go pretty fast, but that you got to like, you could tell you can tell he's Jewish because he must have learned a lot about the Old Testament already. That's you know, as true. a requirement. Yeah. And that, that and, felt uh, a lot more fleshed out than some of the parts that preceded it. Yeah. I guess I'll say just for like initial comments, there was a moment where I was like starting to read this for the podcast and I was like, oh, fuck, no one just picked like history. I was like, shit, I'm what? not a history person. I was like, <laughs> I don't know what I'm gonna talk about. But I think that for me, I mean I enjoyed it, but around like the Egyptian area, which I'm really interested in to begin with, I started to really get invested. And I think that in a way, it's very consistent. And if you are really invested in a period and know a lot about a period and think it's really interesting, you're going to be really invested in what he says about it because it'll supplement everything you used to know about it, which I think is what's great. And I think what's great about, for me, like as I read on, I was like, this is a great project because it makes something that's really can be esoteric and annoying and boring, oh, yeah. oh, really yeah. accessible to the masses. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I'm like, and I even think of myself as the masses, like even though I'm in college, like history's never been my thing. Um, I had to take my one history class and it was about Canadian U.S. history because I'm half Canadian and I was like, and I'm out. Like, I don't need to know anymore. Mm-hmm. So for me, like it made something that like I literally hate, used to hate to study and hate to read really fun. When you get um, to, I mean, it gets even better when you get to stuff that actually like has to do with present day situations Mm -hmm. you know yeah so we've talked a lot about uh history about cartooning and i think that this is a masterpiece of cartooning nolan thinks this is a masterpiece of history of some kind everyone else is really totally on board with it and those elements but there were some things that we struggled with a bit and i think it's fair to give everyone a reasonable expectation of what they're going to encounter here in terms of sequential art I, i thought that the pacing was a bit off probably maybe due to If it is the case that the first couple stories were published as individual pieces, that would maybe account for some of the pacing not going so quickly or the kind of humor that he was working with. But I know everyone had different little quibbles with it. So let's talk about it. I guess my thing would just be that this comic to me wasn't like a source of entertainment like it's definitely a source of information but this isn't the kind of comic that like if i were like oh you know what i really want to just like sit back and relax with a good old story this is not going to be the comic that i would go to so that was uh sort of my thing it, and i mean it's a really really long story as well and that's kind of the thing i mean it's yeah. the history of mankind and earth and everything so you know you, you can't really condense that so i mean it's it's just kind of the nature of the beast but like you said i mean maybe it's the pacing maybe it's just that there's so much information but it was just kind of hard for me to uh get through just because there was just so much of it and it wasn't like it wasn't like a page turner there wasn't like excitement it wasn't like oh my gosh what's gonna happen next because i mean you know if you've gone through school like you you know generally what happens next like ultimately the end of the story is and here we are so you know (laughs) it's not like you're looking to find out the next big twist or turn so just like and and you know that's like i said not really what the book's supposed to be it's not supposed to be a source of entertainment it's supposed to be a source of information and he tries to add some entertainment in there to you know keep you interested to keep the pages going so that it's not just like reading a textbook but i don't know for me it just was uh really long kind of dry and not very uh, entertaining i i think a lot of those are really salient points i think I, especially like it took me a little while for the book to win me over you know like i think especially in the beginning i had a hard time really getting into it like i said the early parts of the art really weren't working for me until it got to the more comfortable cartoon style and i do think that Particularly, like we we spoke a little bit about some of the parts that are actually relating to like the, the New Testament, and, and those that was where there was a lot of you know, <laughs> as much as the goal of the text I think is to make history accessible, you can only make something as dense as the entire history of mankind so accessible. You know, it is still there are parts right, that are hard right. to get through. There are parts that are very thick where there's a lot of text on the page, and oh, so much. Yeah, and I think. I think it does get in the way of the uh, the entertainment aspect of it at times because some of the humor doesn't really land too. You know, there's a lot, like we said, there's a lot of dad puns that I appreciated, but there was just as many where I was just like, yeah, that was just kind of an easy joke that, you know, didn't really do much for me. 
I mean, yeah, I would, I would even go a little further and say that some of the jokes are a little bit sexist, you know? And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Sign mm-hmm. of the times um, and the author His generation. Well. Yeah, totally. I, I, and I mean, um, one of the inaccuracies in it that I could quibble with is that it like very emphatically states that in ancient Egypt there were slaves and the idea yes. that the Israelites were slaves of the Egyptians building great works for them is very, is historically verified. And it's not, there's actually a large contingent of anthropologists and historians who believe that all the people who built the pyramids were not slaves. None of them were slaves. Yeah, there actually were a bunch of uh, hired laborers to do it, and a lot of them would like etch their names into the stones of the monuments that they were building. Like the archaeologists have found, like what's ultimately like ancient graffiti saying, like "Hey, Aziz was here," you know. Yeah, sure. There, and- they did make some context of that though, because he does say that there were. Uh, members of even the you know I, I don't remember which he says name. there were non-Hebrew slaves and he also says that, that there were Hebrews who were assimilated with Egyptian high society and he also says that the Egyptian word for taxation meant labor and this is key to understanding right. it all because this wasn't I mean this wasn't like slavery exactly the same is true of the building of the Great Wall in China you know this was a form of taxation in kind like you give a portion of what you produce and in this case what you produced was physical labor and you gave a, a period of your year performing physical labor and that maintains your citizenship though I personally do believe that there were actual slaves that worked on this stuff many historians and anthropologists do not think so so it's kind of disingenuous for him to just like assert emphatically that there were slaves building the pyramids he in other parts he's much better about admitting uncertainty and in that part he's not. I think you did point out that there are a lot of times where he makes certain assertions that you, where he shows his bias. And sure. He's not a totally reliable But I like error. his bias. So. Yeah, 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 absolutely. But I do think he, 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 that's a, a, a worthwhile criticism considering we are talking about how valuable it is as an informational text and as a means of even teaching, I think. Right. Um, so there are certain inaccuracies, but far less than, I guess, your average textbook, right? Well, not your average, but certain ones, for sure. For certain ones, you'd be surprised. We have a lot more to say, but I think we have to let Pete go. I, I think I might need to sign off here. So yeah, again, thanks uh, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, thanks to you for coming. And I'll see you guys on the next one. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Bye, Pete. Jamie, did you have anything that you wanted to add? Anything that kind of didn't work so well for you with the book? I think I wanted to add on to Nolan's point about the sexism where there, he didn't like say it, but there's kind of this, I kind of like it, but there is a thing at the end where it's like, ironically, like men are all Neanderthals and then the women are like nagging and behind them and like not getting credit. (laughs) And I think that that is definitely true to a sense. And I mentioned, I think in a part that got erased that I really liked the little footnotes, not only because they're footnotes, but also because their footnotes tend to be about people who aren't normally represented in the narrative, Yeah, which I think is great. But I also think it's very true that like at the end of the day, in an attempt for relatable humor, it just kind of debases it down to like men are kind of stupid and like bonk bonk on the head and there's not a lot going on in there. And yeah. then the women are like nagging them from behind the scenes and like getting screwed over all the time. Yeah, it's um, it's almost like universalizing this kind of honeymooners right. attitude to all of human culture, you know, which of course can't possibly be true. So, but it's, and it's ironic because that's a part of the accessibility of the comic with the cartoon. It's like, oh, we're going to make it more accessible by like making a joke that we think everyone could relate to. But I will say that on the terms of accessibility, I do think that to me as a non-history person, it's accessible in the sense that when there's a period that comes along, even if it's not as we talked about like the pacing issues, if it's a period that I know and it's supplementing information that I feel like I know really well, I would find it really interesting. I'd be like, oh, like I always thought it was a straightforward narrative about this or like the King Solomon story. Um, like it's really great whenever you have a perspective already at twisting it. But I do think that some of the the jokes, ironically, can occasionally become a detriment to the piece, as we kind of talked about. Yeah, the humor reminded me a lot of like the uh, you ever read the Lockhorns comic strip on like the the husband and wife. Like it, it was very similar to that sort of sense of humor to me. Lockhorns, like, that's damning. Other. That's real bad. You want to die I mean, when I, you I'm read not, it? Like, I'm not saying like I actually enjoyed the Lockhorns. So I didn't. Isn't mean that, that all about like, like how much but... how much he has to pay his ex wife in alimony or something? Like Maybe I'm the... thinking I think of they're the still married, comic. but they hate each other. They just they hate each really other. Hate they each really other. hate each other. <laughs> but there yeah. were a lot of people that hate each other in the cartoon history for certain. Because yeah. it was all like, sure. quote unquote, like arranged marriages or like marriages of convenience or marriages to uh, parents because uh, of lines. 
Well, that's that's the thing, and that's one of the many ways in which the book is subversive and challenges authority. Is that like it 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 teaches you about all these different kinds of marriage that have existed in human history? All these ones that have nothing to do with romantic love or sex or or heterosexuality as such. They're just you know political arrangements, economic arrangements. That's something historians talk about a lot. That maybe people who don't study history don't really encounter much. That this this can show them. I wonder what the ideal way to read this would be because I mean the way we're encountering it now it's like a, a bunch of big volume books but and it, it doesn't work perfectly that way I wonder if it would work better as a reference where you just turn to the thing that you were most interested at the time or in little chunks um, I mean it, it, as like a former teacher it definitely like lended itself to being used as like a curriculum like you could definitely use individual volumes and focus on like alright this volume is the beginnings of human life until we were not cave people anymore. So that's going to be like the first two months of our curriculum on, you know, human civilization or whatever. Like, I think that that would be a, a really good way of going through this book, honestly. it's I agree. The whole collection is just way too big to just try to sit through and read straight through. And every section, there's so much going on that like there's further exploration that should be had about every single thing. I mean, he's giving you the history, but as much as he is providing information, he still has a lot that he needs to gloss over. And there's so much more depth that you can take everything that he's talking about too. So I would say that this would work perfectly for like a school curriculum. Um, and that that would probably be the best way to read through it is like taking your time on each section and really exploring, uh, as much as you can, uh, through like studying through other research so yeah, that, that's how I would uh, ideally do it. I'm curious, would you, in, uh, like you said, your past experience as a teacher, would you use it as the sole text or would you use it as a companion piece to a more traditional textbook or encyclopedia or something? I mean, it would depend so largely on your school setting. The school that I was in was very non-traditional, so I could have gotten away with using something like this as a textbook. But textbooks also have advantages to them as well. Like a lot of the textbooks that you'll get as a teacher have like worksheets and tests and quizzes already formed for you. Questions at the end of each section or chapter that you can use to check vocabulary, stuff like that, which this doesn't necessarily have with it. So I, did, I, I just meant more from like a content standpoint though. Well, st uh, strictly focusing on only content, if that's like my only concern, then I would say like this would be fine as a main source, but I wouldn't have it be the only source. But I, I don't think that you Me can neither. really teach any kind of a history class with only one textbook. I think yeah, that for totally. any, any section, any study that you're doing out of a textbook, again, I mean, they're going to gloss over things and to get any real depth or detail about anything, you need those supplementary resources. I actually, I mean, I will be a professor in about like six to eight years. And um, I so would, soon. and I would, as if I was to teach in community college or some kind of a setting for people who like, I used to go to community college, some kind of a setting for people who like cannot necessarily deal with the rigor of a 30 page academic article, which can be a very challenging thing to read. I would assign this book, absolutely. And I would also assign some kind of supplement to it. I would never assign it alone because it just doesn't take that long to read some section for us to discuss in class. You can read it real quick. And some of the best history classes I've been in, they put in front of us translated primary sources, you know? So if you were, for instance, to read some of the stuff on slavery in this far past what we read uh, in preparation for this podcast, and then to also read the diary of a, a slaver, a man who like shipped slaves across the Atlantic Ocean, you know? That, I have read some of those diaries, and this book would provide plenty of introduction, more than you need in order to process that diary, understand what kinds of things are going on in the mind of this Portuguese man whose job it is to like ship humans across the Atlantic and kill people and do all kinds of terrible things that they personally feel bad about, but that they are, that is, are, that are required of them as slavers. And so there's very difficult subjects to tackle in history, that being one of them, that you can use this as a, as a basis for, as an introduction to. So I would say for our listeners, we all definitely, we recommend this, but you probably want to use it 
in bits and pieces. Like maybe start with a topic that you're already interested in. And if dad humor really appeals to you, just buy the whole thing and, and go out. If you love it puns, start. if you're a pun yeah. lover. Yeah. If you're a pun person, then dive in. But we want to, we, we've been through the criticism and I think we've already kind of come over on the side of, of praise again. But let's uh, have Nolan because he recommended the book close with some really solid praise in recommending this book as as one of the best comics you've never read well i have read it all of it and i would say that it's that in terms of what you're going to choose to spend your time reading should be should be informed by your desire to escape and to enjoy yourself during time you spend reading and this book can ideally in the ideal situation it can provide that escape while also teaching you a great deal that everyone should know about their how their world that they're familiar with that they live in came into being but in order to do that it requires a little bit of groundwork and i would say you should probably read some wikipedia in supplement to this book but one of the things that's most impressive about it is that wikipedia is very impressive in that it lets you learn a lot quickly easily and this accomplishes that goal even more effectively. I mean, you can just, if you just read through these 18 to 20 volumes, you will have a college education in a lot of ways. But if you don't like puns, then the book went might feel like a bit of a punishment. Oh, oh you should have saved that and used that as the goodbye one. Uh, I'm not going to be able to top it. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks for that. Thanks everyone. Thanks to Pete who had to go. Uh, thanks to Jamie, who's always great. Thanks to Travis, sir, boss, captain man. Hey guys. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, thanks to Brian for running the sound, doing a great job. And I'm Kathleen. And, or you know me as Kathy, whatever. This is Comics First. This has been another Comics First podcast. And you should come back for the next one because we're talking about more of the best comics that you've never read. We're going to be discussing X-23, who's the all new Wolverine, which is very exciting. And, and there's no Jean Grey. Yeah, no Jean Grey. But, but better ooh, for it. Be we're fun. all lucky not to deal with Jean Grey. Shut up, no, oh, Thank God. Never. Justin isn't here to yell at us. You can find us on the web at comicsfirst.com, facebook.com slash comicsfirst, twitter at comicsfirst, duh. Tumblr.comicsfirst.com. Yeah, I did that Instagram right. Is at, at Instagram is at at Comics First. Yeah. And there's also a really great YouTube channel that you should check out. Thanks so much for listening. Let's hear it again. What would this book be if you didn't like puns, Travis? If you don't like puns, then this book would be a punishment. Thank you. Have a good night. Uh, that's so deep. <laughs>